excuse me, you may be seated. It's wonderful to be with all of you here today. It has been over 15 years since I worked in the ICU as a registered nurse. This is something that I talk about periodically. I miss almost nothing about the experience of working in an ICU. I don't miss the 12-hour shifts, the medications, or the very sick patients. There is one experience that I do miss that I can't really experience anywhere else. When someone died in the ICU and we were trying to bring them back to life, it was called a Code 99. They would come over the speaker and they'd say, Code 99, room 12. And we would all run to room 12. When I say we, I mean doctors, nurses, pharmacists, respiratory therapists, lab techs, aides, and others. I miss the adrenaline of that moment that went with trying to bring a dead person back to life. But I also miss being a part of a team. In the best codes I was a part of, the chaos that came with a patient flatlining would turn into the calm precision of multiple people with different roles coming together to accomplish an important mission. This sort of cohesion is the same thing people enjoy about being in a band, on a team, or part of a military unit. What I experienced temporarily as an ICU nurse, and each of you has probably experienced to some extent in different settings, it is a taste of what Christians are supposed to experience eternally through the church. A variety of people with different gifts and skills working cohesively to accomplish an important mission. I think we can all agree that is often not our experience of church. It is, it is what we are called to. The church is the body of Christ working to save the world. This week we are going to return to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Throughout this chapter, Paul has been sharing what it means for Christians to be a part of the church. In today's verses, beginning in 1227 and including in 1231, he sums up what he has been saying. Please turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? 
Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. The past few times I have preached, we have been progressing through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In this chapter, Paul introduces and expands upon an analogy. The body of Christ is the church. This is true in a universal sense. There are Christians all over the world today and throughout history. Tremendous variation exists. Just as there are different parts of a body, there are different parts of the church. What is true of the universal church is also true of the local church. In the verses we are looking at today, Paul is reiterating much of what he said in the verses we have already looked at. In doing so, he is making it absolutely clear that what he says applies specifically to the Corinthians. He writes, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There is no space for misunderstanding in this statement. Paul knows the Corinthians are a bit thick-headed. He doesn't want them denying the implications of what he has said to their present circumstance. Every local church is a small expression of the universal body of Christ. What has been said about the church as a whole can be said about a church in part. In the local church, every Christian is a part of a body. We all have a function. As Paul said in verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. What was true of the Corinthian church and every local church is true of Byfield as well. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Each person in this church is an individual part of a larger whole. On a local basis, God has arranged each local church to be able to progress in the mission he has given. While that is true, a church operating as it should is dependent on the individual parts, each of you functioning as intended. Churches sometimes cease to exist. This is happening with increasing frequency of late, especially since COVID. Churches are closing their doors at an incredibly rapid rate in the United States. Why is that? Well, there are a variety of reasons, I'm sure. There are cultural shifts. 
some churches close because the area in the church loses population. I've actually been to the site where ancient Corinth was, and, and there's nobody there anymore. There, there's no city there anymore, just ruins. Some churches close for unavoidable reasons outside the church. Most do not. Most churches that die do so because at least some of the individuals that God had arranged to be in it didn't do their part. I don't know where the breakdown occurred. It could have been a lack of preaching the word or a lack of hospitality. Often churches that are struggling get the idea that what is needed is just, just more people. If there were just more people. Sometimes this is the case. Often it is not. Often the problem is that the people that are already in the church are not functioning as God has arranged. Adding more people doesn't resolve dysfunction, it just obscures it. Think about this from a medical perspective. A child with a broken leg doesn't need to just grow larger. That's not going to fix the broken leg. If anything, that is going to exacerbate the issues with the leg. For the child to be able to grow properly, the leg needs to get fixed. Think about it another way. And if an adult person needs to have a knee replacement, just gaining more weight isn't going to solve the problem. Growth doesn't solve the problems of local churches if the individual parts of the body are not operating as God arranged. When churches are not making an effort to be healthy with what they have, I don't believe God will bless them with what they need. A person that is going to get an organ transplant will probably be denied if they are unwilling to change the way they operate. There's just not much point in giving a two-pack-a-day smoker a lung transplant. All that happens is that the new lungs rapidly become as diseased as the body they have been transplanted into. The same happens all the time with churches. God will let a local church die as a result of its dysfunction. Normally the way churches die is similar to the way a physical body dies. It's not one catastrophic failure. Death results from an untreated condition. A cancer grows and metastasizes. Various parts of the body break down over time, causing stress on other parts until the failures get too overwhelming for life to be maintained. For a while, the slow decline is almost imperceptible. 
when it becomes obvious, it, it can feel like it's too late. Thankfully, Byfield, I always, I always feel the need to give a disclaimer here, I, Byfield is a healthy church. Our desire is to maintain the health that already exists, but also to add to it as each individual part of the church gets healthier, the whole church will get healthier. The healthier the church grows, the more God will arrange what is needed for continued health. A pastor friend of mine used to say to me, healthy things grow. He meant this numerically. In his mind, if a church is healthy, it would be growing numerically. I disagreed slightly at the time, believing that healthy churches grow spiritually. I honestly think that both are true. A church that is growing healthy spiritually will likely be a church that is growing numerically as well. While the two may be linked, I, for one, I'm not particularly worried about the numbers. My strong conviction is that if we continue to grow more spiritually healthy here at Byfield, using the gifts God has given each of us, everything else will take care of itself. The gifts God has appointed to the individual members that make up a church are for building up the body of Christ. Paul lists some of these gifts, writing first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering in various kinds of tongues. The point of this list is not to enumerate every possible capacity that has been given to Christians from God. Multiple times in Paul's letters, he writes about spiritual gifts. The list given in 1 Corinthians is the longest list, yet it still doesn't include gifts that are listed in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and other passages. In Romans 12, generosity, mercy, and leadership are acknowledged, while none of those is listed in today's passage. That doesn't mean those gifts are unimportant. Paul isn't trying to list every possible gift and variation. He is highlighting the variety of gifts that God bestows on his people. In Corinth, the people have gotten hyper-focused on the gifts referred to as the charismatic gifts, especially speaking in tongues. Paul is simply reminding that there are many spiritual gifts. The way the spiritual gifts are listed is a source of some debate. Is Paul saying that certain spiritual gifts are more valuable than others? This is one option that has been proposed. Although Paul highlighting certain gifts as more valuable goes against the whole argument that he has been making over the course of chapter 12. The better reading of Paul's argument would be the order in which these gifts generally plays out in the creation and building of a local church body. 
When Paul says in verse 31, the Corinthians should earnestly desire the higher gifts, he is referring to the diversity of gifts God has given for the church to be built up. Every Christian should have the desire to have gifts that build up the church and their fellow believers. All the gifts God gives his people are necessary for the church to thrive. Different gifts are more necessary at different points in the life of a church. In this way, the church and a sports team are similar. Last November, I began coaching my son Micah's fourth grade boys travel basketball team. And just to be honest, it was apparent from tryouts that we were going to be really bad. All right. This was, this was not a talented group of basketball players. Most of the kids have never played organized basketball before. They, they couldn't shoot layups. They couldn't defend. They didn't know how to pass, although they really preferred not to pass. In forming this team, my focus was on developing the basics. They needed to know how to do layups. They also needed to understand the central truth of basketball, that success is dependent on sharing the ball. This is a very difficult truth to get fourth grade boys to embrace. Hopefully next season, they will not need to hear that message as much and we can focus on other things. The gifts the church needs most will vary depending on where that church is at developmentally. No spiritual gift should be looked down upon as inferior to any other. It tends to be the case that the more public the practice of a gift is, the more it is exalted. I, I get to stand up here preaching every week and it is it's a tremendous honor preaching is really important a church where truth is not proclaimed from the pulpit cannot be a healthy church the same is true for hospitality administration or any of the other ways god works through the people of the church a church without hospitality cannot be a healthy church. Hospitality is practiced more behind the scenes. The people here at Byfield that are the most responsible for hospitality often go unnoticed. This doesn't make them exercising their gifts any less important to the health of the church. It just means they don't get as much acknowledgement. Our heartfelt desire should be to build up the church with the gifts God has given us for this purpose. You will sometimes hear Christians or those who claim to be Christians say they love Jesus. They love Jesus. They just don't like other Christians. Or they love Jesus. 
just not the church. The idea that anyone can love Jesus apart from loving his body is completely foreign in the Bible. If you love a person at a minimum, you are going to show your love to them by loving what they love. Mothers know this all too well. Whatever your child cares about, you will care about. Some of you moms out there have been forced to care about everything from Paw Patrol to, to some sports to the middle school drama that your kids are really interested in. It is not that parents actually love Paw Patrol. They love the things their kids love because they love their kids. Jesus loves the church. It is the thing he cares about most in the world. If we love Jesus, we will learn to love what he loves even if it is not our preference. Loving the church as Jesus does is going to require sacrifice. Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. We often look to Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 to better understand marriage. These verses also inform us of how Jesus loved the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish we are called by jesus to sacrificially love the church through exercising the gifts god has given Nobody should think this will be easy. The church is made up of us. And we can be a challenge to each other. We, we fail and we hurt each other. The church is the primary context where we learn through experience what it means to love like Jesus Christ. Growing as a Christian is not possible in isolation. It is similar to someone that tries to become a good basketball player by doing shooting and dribbling drills by themselves. They may improve in these areas. Yes, shooting and dribbling are important skills when it comes to basketball, but to truly be a basketball player, you have to know how to operate within a team. Basketball is a team game. Christian development requires a team environment. It requires the church. Apart from the church, no Christian can truly practice the gifts God has given them. Christianity is lived out in conjunction with fellow believers, the communal context is not optional. Some of you sitting here today might say, well, that all sounds great. 
That all sounds great, but I don't know how to exercise the gifts God has given me because I don't know what those gifts are. One thing I would say to that is you learn through practice. That's how you learn how to do anything. Another just encouragement I would offer is that next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock in this conference room behind me, Bill Ferguson will do, be doing a, what's really a spiritual gift discernment class. And so if you're somebody that doesn't, doesn't know how God has gifted you, that would be a great first step in better understanding yourself. It is only through using the gifts God has given us that we can develop into the person that we have been called to become in Christ. The world would tell us to reach our full potential. We need to focus on our own individual growth. This is the message the Corinthians have embraced. They want to use the gifts God has given them for their own betterment. The logic of God is always counterintuitive to the selfish approach we are prone to as people. Instead of reaching our potential through serving ourselves, Christians progress through serving others. By serving one another in the church, we grow in the love of Christ as the basis for what it means to be a Christian, as well as the end point of our faith. Let me conclude by telling you something disturbing. When I first became a nurse, before I moved to the ICU, I kind of killed a guy. It's okay. It's okay. He came back to life, thankfully. But I might have made a mistake and didn't give a medication quickly enough that would have helped him recover more quickly. And the reason that man was brought back to life was because his survival was not totally dependent on me. It was dependent on everybody in that hospital environment coming together and working as a team to revive him. I didn't completely know from the first day I became a nurse how to do the job. I had to learn how to do the job. And I learned how to do that job as a part of a community. Many of us never progress in our faith because we aren't engaging in community. We never learn how to progress, how to move forward in, in what God has given us, in the spiritual gifts he has given us. Nobody just knows how to be a Christian. We learn how to be a Christian by practicing our faith in the context of community. The church is a community for which Jesus Christ is the head. We learn and grow through confronting the challenges that exist for the church in the world together. The Lord is working to prepare us for a future day where we will experience a cohesion with fellow Christians in Jesus Christ that is absolutely complete. In this completeness, we will not lose who we are as individuals, 
We will experience the full outworking of who God has made us and called us to be. Here at Byfield, we are moving toward that full realization. It is not an easy process. Our sin interferes, but the effort, the effort is worth making. A day will come where our unity with God and each other will be complete. And we strive for that day. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this room is a, it's a mix of people. It's a mix of people that have called this church their home for, for decades. And people that it might be their first time here. And, and I recognize that there are some that look to this church as their home and, and are comfortable in that. And others that are in the process of exploring it. Whatever the case may be for anyone here, I pray that each of us would seek a community of faith where we can live out the giftedness that you have given us as, as an aspect of our faith for those of us that know you, Lord. And I pray for those that don't. And Lord, for those of us that, that have become comfortable, I pray that we would just be challenged to continue to use and develop the gifts that you have given us for the purpose of building your church. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.